<laughs> Let's try that again. Good morning. <laughs> it's good to have you all here today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, we began reading. Uh, we read it last week, but I'd like to read it again. Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at the two parallel passages, Mark and Matthew today, in regards to ambition, shall we say, or how, in, how to be great in the kingdom. And last week we looked at how not to be great in the kingdom. We'll pick it up uh, in verse 35, Mark chapter 10, and it goes this way. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? And he said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all you shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or on my left hand is not mine to give, but it should be given to them for whom it is prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just bow for prayer before we begin our study together. Father, we're here today because we want to be here. We're here to learn from you. We are here to hear this, to have the Spirit woo us closer to you using the Word of God. Father, it's a delight to be in this place with these fellow believers, being able to immerse ourselves in your love and in your Word. We would ask for these moments now that we would be completely yours in every way, mind, body, and soul. We would be open to becoming more like Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher today. And Father, those things that need to be said would be said. Father, you would receive the glory, and we would receive a blessing following after you. Now, Father, take us right where you want us to be in these moments. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we continued on in our uh, journey through Mark, we really didn't start it as a as a, shall we say, a study in Mark, but it's turned out to be a little bit that way as we started walking, watching Jesus walk through his ministry years. We saw him in Galilee. We saw him in the miracles. We saw him, his power. It's maybe how we even started. The, the overwhelming power that he had in any circumstance for any reason at any time. It's quite amazing to watch this one, the Son of God, walk and talk and work. He was touched uh, we've said this a number of times in our study, but it's something we want to continue to be aware of, is if someone came to him and asked for a sign, which the Pharisees did regularly, and the Sadducees, the scribes, they said, show us something so we know that you are really who you say you are. Uh, to each and every time, he never, ever did that. But when someone would come that needed compassion, needed love, needed healing, needed something that only he could give, Game on. 
miracles displayed. It was amazing to watch it all unfold. We'll watch next week, Lord willing, that we will see his last miracle before him going to the cross, uh, healing the blind Bartimaeus. Um, that is who Jesus was. He was all about serving. He was all about being what people needed. And the only thing that they could not ever understand, which he gave his life for, is he came as a, and we've got some words on the board here, uh, the disciples in Jesus' perspective. Um, one of those which was very different was the fact that Jesus came to be the lamb. He became to be the lamb to save us from our sin. It was an inward perspective. He always wanted to go to the inside. He wanted to go to the inside of the mind, of the heart, so that people really knew what they were lacking. All of that sacrificial system which God gave was to show that the law could not save them. It could only show them the fact that they they were lost. Now, the disciples, they saw Jesus, the Messiah, as the lion. Here he comes to tear apart all of the opposition. He's the king forever, and way we rule and reign. And the apostles said, can we sit on either side of you? James and John, who actually we looked at last week, looking at the uh, gospel uh, context of, of Jesus hanging on a cross and those women that were there, that literally found that James and John's mother, whose name is Salome, in John chapter 19, verse 25, is revealed that she actually is Mary's sister, Mary the mother of Jesus. So that gives us some insight as to why would this woman, Salome, come with her two sons. Now in the Matthew quarrel, uh, parallel passage which we looked at last week, we'll look at it again today. I mean, you know, you're just thinking, wait, how, that's pretty audacious. That's getting out there. That's really bold. For here comes mom with her two sons in tow. That's kind of how I see it, right? This is proud mom that wants to get all she can get for her sons. Not for herself. I want to make, make, there's almost a sense of sacrifice there. She's not looking for anything of herself. Oh, my sons. I want James on one side and John on the other. And then it was even like, this even sounds so ludicrous. It's like a child coming. Mommy, will you give me whatever I ask? Right? It was almost like that. He said, and you saw it in, in the passage we read in Mark today, which we read last week, was that they said, Master, will you give us what we ask? Well, that would be not what you ask, right? Wouldn't that be the basic? They already know that he's probably got a good chance of not doing that, right? But here comes Salome and her two sons. On their way to the cross. They're on their way to Jerusalem. He's just described that. It. It's like, again, we're talking about what Jesus was launching, what he was pitching, and what they were catching. He just had told them for the third time in each one of the, of, of the, uh, the gospel passages, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And at that point, I will be betrayed. I will be handed over to the religious leaders who will hand me over to the Gentiles, which will mock me and scourge me. And this was the first time they used the C word, crucify me, in the Matthew account. Uh, they didn't get that, obviously, because it was like, just instantly, uh, Master, could, could we get, would, would you give us whatever we ask? And what would that be, Jesus said? Well, we would like to sit on your left hand and on your right hand. We want to be better than anybody else. And we want to make sure everybody knows we're better than anybody else. And that would be the way we could do it because you, Jesus, are the master. And we could be on one side. I'm wondering how much they thought about who was going to be on the right hand because that's the preferred position versus the left. But there was a little bit of that in. Well, maybe they just do straws, right? I don't think so because selfishness drives to division, doesn't it? Mark that down. Selfishness always drives to division. You see self, you see division. You can see it at political levels. You can see it at every single level. You see it in a church where selfishness rules, there is division. That's exactly what's happening. Guess what? And the other ten disciples who we'd think were pious little gentlemen that were just there to serve Jesus, 
It says they were upset because James and John had beat them to the punch. <laughs> well, their mom wasn't there, right? So Salome was on top of this thing, right? I'm sure it was pretty well strategically planned out. Now listen, sons, you just come with me. I'm going to talk to my dear young nephew, Jesus. Think of that for a moment now. <laughs> We're going to get this all lined out. Think about, and think about that connections, the family connections and power and all of that. It, they, they, were, they owed that to James and John because it's part of the family. Right. Oh, and Jesus must have went, oh, what did I just say? Right. What did I just say? But as usual, Jesus, is, Jesus uses it as a teaching moment. He tells them the ways that it really doesn't work. In fact, let's turn to John. I don't think we did this last week, but um, let's turn to John chapter 18. John 18. And he's, uh, he's actually on trial. And let's see. i got to figure out which verse it was. Verse 36. And he's before Pilate. And we're, we're just diving in here for a moment. But verse 38. I don't know if I get that right. No, no I'm sorry. 36. That's where I need to be. Chapter 18 of John, verse 36. There we go. Finally got it right. And he had asked him, Pilate, let, let us start in this dialogue as such. Uh, verse 33, Pilate entered into the judgment hall again of chapter 18 of, of John and called Jesus and said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? Why would he ask him? Well, one thing that's really interesting, you know what Jesus didn't look like right now? He did not look like a king at all in any way, shape, or form. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to you? <laughs> did you figure this out all up by yourself, Pilate? Or really, literally, uh, is this something someone else told you? Pilate, am I a Jew? In other words, he said, Yes, I, I did not know that. Someone told me that you were described as being the king. That's why you're here, basically, because Romans can only have the Caesar. And if you're declaring yourself to be a king, then I'm going to have to put you to death. That's really what it all meant. Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered you unto me. What hast thou done? Watch this, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. That's very, very important. If it would have been in this world, what would it look like? Very much like any other king would have been. And that would have been political power, prestige, wealth, all those things that are attracted. You step on top of one another. It's almost like the pyramid system, right? If you're on top, you're on top of the pyramid. Everyone's below you. And Jesus' kingdom is flipped upside down. And literally, you're at the bottom of the pyramid, flip an inverted pyramid, and you are serving others. That's what Jesus is all about. And by the way, he did that mar marvelously well, didn't he? He didn't say, just do this. He showed people. He showed them who he was by example. So Pilate was just probably totally astounded by that. Well, Jesus was clear to say that political power play is not the way back in Mark chapter 10. It's certainly not a self-seeking ambition. It's not self-promoting. It's not dominance. It's not dictatorship. All of those things would describe any other kingdom. Tell me another kingdom in the world uh, that's governing in the flesh or on a, society a societal level from the world's perspective. Those are things that are in play. Every single place, somewhere those attributes are in place. And Jesus said, no, that's not how it works here. That's not at all how it works. My kingdom is not built that way. My kingdom has not come that way. It's very, very different than that. Very different. Uh, in fact, in Matthew, let's turn back there for a moment, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 4. This would have been a previous lesson that they didn't get. Uh, they flunked this one when they got the pop quiz. Uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verse, 
We'll start in verse 1, Matthew 18, 1. We went through the Mark's uh, passage, but here we are in Matthew. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> it seems like this is on their mind. Does it, does it, does it seem like it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a passing thought? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst. Ah, we're going to have a teaching moment here, guys. And said, Verily, or truly I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not even enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble... Oh, did you see the humble word? It starts with an H, not a P for pride. Humble himself as this little child, the same, watch, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now that happened just a couple chapters ago in Matthew, and it's like, whoosh, he threw that out there. It was a strike, and then it was a swing and a miss. Is it right? I mean, how, was that not clear? Did you guys get that? It's amazing, though. We have to be continually reminded. I probably, I shouldn't say I, but the Word of God, let's put it that way, because we're in the Word of God. If it's just me speaking, you need to throw me out. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I say. What does the Bible say? That's what even Jesus said. What does it say back in the beginning to the Pharisees? It said, what do you say about divorce? What does the Bible say? That's all that matters. What does the Word say? It's the same thing here. It's amazing how much the Word of God has to say about humility and how much God hates pride. It's amazing. He despises it. Because it destroys everything that he's made. Satan, think of him. Just look, look at the demise of Satan. It was all about himself. It was all about him being who he couldn't be. Him being God. Service, humility. That's the course of what Jesus is saying. You want to be great in the kingdom? You need to humble yourself just as a child. Look at what Paul said um, in Acts chapter 20. Let's go back to Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 20. As you're thinking about these things, I, I want you to just think about people in the, in the scriptures that would depict that. What is at the basis of really kingdom living or motivation to be great? And by the way, is there anything wrong with, let's, uh, as you're turning, what did I tell you to turn? I better make sure I get there. Uh, Acts chapter 20, how did I do? Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, but we'll just, just hold up for a second. One of the things that's interesting, we found in the passage we read today that uh, Jesus, it was almost like he was asking uh, for someone that wants to be the greatest in the kingdom, and then he's, is that okay? Is it okay to want to be the greatest? Is that, or does that even almost of itself just seem like it's, a, that's kind of, that's out there a little bit, right? Can be, can it? And it worked beautifully for the disciples because they, there was a motivation behind it. Why do I want to be the greatest? I don't think there's anything wrong at all. In fact, let's, well, we're in, I'll come back. We'll come back. But don't let me forget this when we get back to Mark. But it's interesting that Jesus actually asked the question, for someone that wants to be the greatest, he doesn't, he's not condemning that. What he is saying, though, what's the reasoning behind it? What is motivating you to want to be the greatest? If it's all about me or self, that's wrong. That's really wrong. And that's what the disciples, James and John, you can imagine. So that, that's, that's my boy. That, my boys are right there. They're right there, right? What was her motivation? To give God glory? No, it was to get praise and admiration and power and wealth and stuff, and, right? But you know what? You should actually have a strong desire to be the best Christian you can even possibly imagine being, to be the best witness, to be the best liver. That, that, that sounds terrible. Not L-I-V-E-R, the living form of humility, service. All of those things that Jesus is, and Jesus example, all of those things, you should have a desire to be the very best. I want to think, and it gets implanted within you, for me, to get up knowing that today is Sunday. It's a day that I get the opportunity 
to share from God's word. I want to do that the best. It really is. There's a deep desire to do that. As good as I can do it. But it has to be none of me. It has to be all of Jesus. All of God. Now, I think, to me, I've, I've asked, is there anyone that sticks out to you as being, this is a picture. Now, of course, Jesus Christ, he's our model. He is the one. He's the one that we use as the model of humility, the model of kingdom living, the model of sacrifice, the model of everything that we know about that the kingdom of God is about. I understand that. But is there anyone of the, in Old Testament, New Testament, just stand out to you and say, that man, that woman is amazingly humble and a servant-oriented, servant-minded person. Anybody come to mind? Excuse me? Joseph. Absolutely excellent. Now, here's a guy that's in power, and that, to me, is, again, a picture of meekness. Describe meekness for me as power under control. It's, it's, it's something that you can control. Now, let's say that you were Joseph. Slip into his boots for a second, and you have been sold by your brothers. I mean, what kind of bros are those, man? That's, that's pretty wicked, right? Tough. Now, and sold them to some jerks. Sold them to the Ishmaelites, which knows they're going to trade him. They're going to sell him. They're going to make money on him. Make money on your brother? Let that sink in for a minute, right? Why? Because their father, unfortunately, showed his love more to him than to that, to the overall. To talk about family problems. Again, what is that? It's pride. It's, it's, it's an unloosing of all of the division that comes to place. What, what caused the division? Pride and self. Pride and self. Right? There it is. It's right there in the big, big black one. Uh, okay. So he sold to Egypt. He's taken to Egypt, and somebody buys him. What do you, how's your self-esteem doing right now if you're Joseph? Ooh, right. You know what? It was never about self with him, was it? Never was about self with Joseph. It was always about somebody else. He actually ends up in prison when he illegitimately was accused of raping, uh, what, was, what was that guy's Potiphar. Potiphar's wife. He's there falsely accused. What does he do? If you read the passage, it says that he was actually ministering and serving others in prison. They were more important to him than his, than his place. There was a point there where he was depressed, it seemed. And I, that's a strong word, maybe discouraged. He said to the two guys that he was ministering to, one was a butler and one was a, uh, a baker. Yeah. And, and one of them lost his life and the other one he told. That's how sure he was of what God spoke to. He didn't tell the one who was going to lose his life. He told the one who was going to go, when you're restored. The other guy, sorry, pal, I just had to tell you what's, what's on my heart, what's, what's really truth. But he told the one that was going to go back, he said, please remember when you go into the Pharaoh's company that I'm here falsely accused. And what did he do? He forgot. Two years later, he shows up in front of Pharaoh because, oh, that guy, he knows about dreams. I'm the only reason that I'm here. To, I, I, because of him and him revealing this dream, I'm here today because he, that guy that's down in prison, falsely accused, you need to get him, Pharaoh, because he can answer dreams. That's how it all came. Isn't that amazing? They talk about God's timing and just perfectly working through. Now, in the meantime, Joseph is feeling a little bit bummed out. What do you think? Did he have those nighttime thoughts of, boy, I tell you what. My family, what a bunch of jerks. <laughs> Doesn't say that. Not, he does not. Him and Daniel are the only two people in the, in the, in the, that I know of that said nothing about anything that would. Of course, they were sinners, but they were, they were like impeccable in the sense of relation and character. So, guess what happens? Well, you know what happens. He reveals a dream and first, like, who would be better to do that job than you? So, he becomes instantaneously overnight a success. Truly a success. And he's done it God's way. That's what's really cool. Did you notice that? No power plays, no put. This is actually a sermon itself. Who said Joseph? Oh, Jerry did. This is fantastic. It's just rolling together exactly what Jesus would be talking about right now. He's done it God's way. And he's on top. Guess what he is? He's humble. 
How do we know that? Here come the jerks. They're hungry. Ooh, I got them right where I want them. Right? No. In fact, but he does plan. Well, he wants, you know what he wanted to know? He wanted to know if their hearts were really changed. He wanted to know if they were really ready to sacrifice for someone else. Guess who was? Judah. And Judah, he says, no, 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 you cannot have Benjamin. That would kill our father. He would be done for. You just keep me. Let him go. That had, well, in fact, it says that Joseph teared up. He had, to, he had to remove himself. You see what he'd seen? He'd seen that the real focus behind all of this is not about power and wealth. It's about character. It's about character. It's the same for you and I today. It's about character. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes service. And here they come. And at the end, they saw him as being that brother they had sold. What do you think happened to them? Oh, my goodness. He's going to kill us because that's what they would have done to him in a similar situation. That's the world's way, isn't it? Retaliate. And then when Father, when Father Jacob died, you know what? We've got a deep problem here. Um, let's go see Joseph. So they fall down before him. Dad said, this was his last request. That's a lie, but this is his last request. You know, just don't kill us, basically. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And Joseph, that fabulous verse in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What? Am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Isn't that fantastic? That's the eyes and the heart of a servant. Fantastic. Jerry, we made a sermon out of that one. That's great. That was great. But perfect picture, wasn't it? Joseph, he acted by... Now, this is the other part. This is what's really, really important. You can't ever get to the point of serving to the level that Jesus is talking about until all of those that are named and beyond in Hebrews chapter 11. What do we know about Hebrews chapter 11? That's the hall of faith. That's where Joseph, that's where Abram, that's where Isaac, that's where Jacob, that's where all of Moses... Those people were willing, regardless of circumstances, no matter what happens tomorrow morning on a Monday at 8 o'clock, no matter how bad it may be, if your trust is in God, guess what? You are still focused on what makes a Christian really active and appealing to a world because it's all in for Jesus Christ. That's what all of those men of faith, those women of faith, exhibited was a faith in God. that It, it crowded out all of the things that could make your decisions, make your character askewed. Isn't that fantastic? You know who I was thinking? Anyone else? Some other, some other Old Testament, New Testament figure. Or person that would, would exemplify humility, service. Esther. Esther. There's another. That's a good one, isn't it? You know, here's, a, here's a young woman. I mean, you know, just think of all of the conditions in which she found herself. But she really put her life on the line, didn't she? She really did. Now, there was a little encouragement from her... From her uh, was it her uncle, Mordecai? Relative. And he was actually acting as her father, quite honestly. He, we don't know a lot about Esther's beginning, but you can tell there's a lot of pain. There was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of challenges. God used her at just the right time. And I'm convinced that you folks are here just the very same way Esther was for her day. You're not here by accident. There's stuff God wants done that you are specifically designed to be in your journey in life to get things done that God wants you to do. You know what the difference? You've got to be an Esther. Put it on the line. Pray and fast and Focus on what God would have for you. That's a good example. Anyone else? I'll tell you the one I think of, and this is the one that I, that I really, if I wanted to pattern at least what he said and who he was, that really drives me. It just, it, it just fits my wheelhouse. And this man that I'm thinking of, 
I mean, things weren't easy. They weren't easy at all. But he had the right perspective. John the Baptist. To me, is the perfect example of complete, fabulous humility and meekness. He meets Jesus. Doesn't even meet him. He sees him from a distance, and he's so in tune. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You guys need to look at this one right here. That's, that's how he started. It was the first statement ever said, first time he saw him. Isn't that fabulous? He's so tuned in, he sees him as exactly what the disciples can't get driven into their head. You know why? Because he said this. I must decrease, and he, Jesus, must increase. I'm not worthy to tie the latchet of his shoe. That's what John the Baptist said. That's what he lived. That's what he believed. That, my friends, is the perfect picture of service and being the greatest in the kingdom of God. John the Baptist. In fact, look what Jesus said about him. I think I have it written down. Where did I leave you? You're an axe. And we got so far off track, didn't we? Okay. Can you hold this thought? We're going to go back to Matthew. We're going to see what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Can you guys rope me back into that? Okay. Let's, let's now go back to where our bunny trail wasn't to uh, Acts chapter 20. And let's look at verse 19. Acts chapter 20, verse 19. This is Paul speaking. And he actually says a lot of things, but we're just diving into one verse. This is so good. This is a description of Paul. You'd have to say the same. Verse 19, Acts chapter 20. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Ah, isn't that beautiful? There it is. That's, that's the mission right there. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Now, let's go back to Matthew, and let's take a look at what Jesus said. I think I got this right, hopefully. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 11 is what I've got written down. That doesn't seem right. It is not right. Very good. Um, let me try something else. While you're thinking about where that's not right, I don't know what I would have done there. Um, totally went blank on that one. But Jesus said of John, I'm going to have to paraphrase I can't find the verse right now, that John was the meekest man on the earth. Now, how did he get that way? By doing exactly what he said. I must decrease. Jesus, the Messiah, must increase. He must receive the glory. For Jesus to say that, who is the other one that uh, you haven't, we've mentioned his name, but you, we haven't called or talked about him, but he was spoken of as being the meekest man on, on the earth. Excuse me? Moses. That's right. Think of that. For 80 years, 40 years, he thought he was something. For the next 40 years, he knew he was nothing. And the last 40 was to lead a people that God had prepared and disciplined him to be able to take through. And they were, they were, weren't they something else? They were adolescents that were just, oh, they needed spanked every day. There were two-year-olds, weren't they? There was a million two-year-olds. So it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's just, oh, I can't believe it. We don't, we're going to be here to die. We don't have anything to eat. We don't have anything to drink. We don't wish we were back in Egypt. I mean, oh, my goodness. God, what are we going to do with these people? In fact, God was so disgusted. Can you imagine that? God said, you know what? Moses, just step aside. I'm going to make a people with you. I'm going to destroy these morons. I'm going to take them out. And I'm, just, I'm done with them. They're such, oh, they're so, what, what are they not? What, what is the key to service and sacrifice? I'm going to say it again. Faith. You must trust God. You know what they ran out of every single minute of almost every single day? They could not trust God for what's in front of them. Jesus said to the disciples when he was teaching them how to pray, they said, could you teach us how to pray like you pray? You're amazing. Remember the disciples asked that? That's how we got started in Mark. Now that I think about it, give us this day our yearly bread, monthly bread, weekly bread, 
daily bread. You think there's something, there's a man, give us this day our daily bread. That's trusting God. That's something that God has been training, teaching me in the last several years of my life. For me to depend and trust on him moment by moment. Am I really good at it? No, but I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it. Even now, I find myself driving down the road. It was funny yesterday. I don't want to get too much. I don't want to get, because it, it, it seems almost silly, but it's not. There, I've got two guys pulling at me where I should be at the same time. Have you ever had that happen? Yes. world does that. I mean, this is, and it's not about them. It's, it's just to, they needed the job done, and I was, you know, I'm going to perform the job. It's just like, what's the order here, right? I mean, who's the most important? And it's not like that, but it was amazing how God just directed my path, and I get in a conversation with somebody that... Uh, Lorinda has taken me to, to a tractor, and I already made my mind where I'm going to go. It just made the most sense. It was logically to me made the most sense. And I get in this conversation with this guy, and it totally deterred me. It just totally distracted. Oh, now, that is not what I was thinking. And I, I can't go all, all of it. But I, so now I'm driving. Now I'm driving over to Annis to get my tractor. And I'm like, what do I do? God, where do you want me? I'm, I'm more important, God, where do you want me? Okay, that's what's really important. Where do you want me to go next? So I get in my tractor, and I still haven't made a decision. Because you come to Annis, you can either go right to Norris, Harrison area, which is where I was going to go, or you can continue straight, and then you end up, obviously, over to BC Hill and to this other place that I ended up being. So I've already given it away. Well, somebody calls me when I'm downtown Annis. And I'm talking on the phone, and where do you think I went? I missed the corner to go to Harrison. Now, is that... But the point of the matter is, is God was directing me because I was asking him to direct me. And I'm saying, it seems almost maybe silly to you. It was a big deal to me because I want to do the right thing for the right reasons so that it's lined up right. Isn't that the way we really should be depending on God? You know what happens to us? We become more humble the more trusting we are in God. That's really true. The more we trust God, the easier it is to be humble. That's what Jesus said. You want to be great? You You want to really be great in the kingdom of God? Serve. That's his whole message. Serve. Serve. He told them how not to do it. Serve. Tell me about service. What do you guys think about when you say serve? Think of others more than yourself. Okay. And we actually looked at it in Colossians, didn't we? To esteem others more important than yourselves. That's it. That, that is it. That's it. What does service look like? There's a couple words that Jesus used when he was describing this, and they're only in, in Mark and in Matthew. There's one in particular. Oh, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 2. You're in Matthew, so let's just go there. We'll look at this one. And he says to verse, verse 26 through 28 is really where we're talking about today. Verse 26 of Matthew chapter 20. But it shall not be so among you. In other words, no political ambitions, no power, no connections. This is not how our kingdom works. But whosoever will be great among you. See that? But whosoever will be great among you, whoever wants to be great, let him be your minister. Minister. What does that mean? What does that mean? Excuse me? Doing for others. Okay. The word that's in the Greek there is a word that means to be a table waiter. You're waiting on others, if you will. Now, you can tell if you're in a, a restaurant or some type of a establishment where they're serving food. I'm thinking of that. Just uh, keep that in mind. You can tell the person just by their attitude 
if they want to be there. Just the way they handle themselves, right? I've been in places that they almost threw the food at you, right? <laughs> right? There! You like it? You know, stuff like, you could, you could feel that. Now, that was a little over the top. They probably wouldn't be employed there a long time. You understand what I'm saying? But the point of the matter is, is there's the other ones that they are there waiting on you because they want to wait on you. It's not just about the job and the pay. It's literally about, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. This is service because I want to serve. You see the difference? There's ones that, ah, I just got to do this stupid job because I need money. See, that, that, you shouldn't be there. It's like life. I had this conversation with a couple of people yesterday in the sense of passion and passion. If you're working at a job and you learn to start to hate a Monday and actually lose part of Sunday because Monday's coming and you're looking for a Friday so that you can live for the weekend, you're not in the right place. That's not how life should be. Life really should have peace and joy every single day because that's part of who we are. That's how God made us. Did you see the difference? Otherwise, it... That passion, you, you need to be somewhere. In fact, there was a young man. I actually ended up, I'm going to use the word released him. Uh, he called it a <laughs> fired him, right? But, but the point was it wasn't about that. He was at a job working, working here several months ago that he came to the, to the point of which he wanted a raise, but that wasn't what it was about. And I said, I said, here's, what, here's what's really important. I said, it looks to me like you're counting hours that you're here and you're trying to figure out how much you're not making here working these hours, what I want you to do is I want you to find the place that God has instilled within you. There's a place, there's a spot that you don't even want to be doing anything else because that's your life, that's your passion, that's what makes your world go. And you know what? You could care less about how many hours it was. That's called passion and that's what you need because then it doesn't matter. It all works out. I don't know if he got it, but I said, I could pay you four times what you're asking, and you'd be, you'd be on fire for about one week, <laughs> and it would be something else. It would be like, I need, right? No, no, no. I said, it's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. You know what? It's the same thing for us. When we're a Christian, when we're really digging in and we're really focused and interested in, what does Jesus want? How do we fit in? How can we be the very best at that? He's, not, he's given you gifts. Every single one of you that has trusted Christ to save, you have at least one spiritual gift. That should be something you desire to be the very, very best at. You can possibly even imagine. I want to do that the best because that's something God gave me. That, there's nothing wrong with that. And the more that you have that passion, and you know what's really cool about the, the gifts that you're given, it's something that you really probably aren't necessarily very good at. Right? You're not talented there. It's something that even makes you more more knowing that this is a God gift. This is something that's from God. This isn't from me. And you know what he does with that? Is he flips that passion switch on. For me, I have the gift of teaching. I Trust me. If you would have seen me growing up, teacher, that kid can't get in front of anyone. He's like so shy, so quiet, so like, he's going, my teacher, he, you know, he's probably, no. Te no, that's not in his future. But you know what? When God gives you that gift, you know what he does? He gives you the passion to go with it. You need to follow after that. And all of it must be in the name of Jesus Christ, that humble spirit of making God big, increasing. And me, myself, Larry, I need to decrease. The more he increases. That's my prayer every single morning. I got morning right this time on a Sunday, right? Is that I want to give to you. I want to give to whoever's listening to my voice. 
none of me, none of me, and all of Jesus, all of the Holy Spirit, all of the Word of God, everything that you need to have your life get bigger in the sense of serving God. You see, that's what big, a big life for you is, is you're serving God more and more. That's fantastic, isn't it? That's what your passion should be. How do I serve God more? How do I serve Him with more of them, with more vigor, with more passion? And you know the cool thing is? It'll make your prayer life different. The more you serve, the more you pray. The more you pray, the more you serve. Think about that for a second. Your prayer life becomes vibrant when you serve more because it allows you to see more of what God wants you to be. Whew, boy, we're really a little bit... We're moving around, aren't we? Where do I have you right now? What, what book are we in? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're in Matthew? Well, let's take a look at a couple of these words. We, we did look at one, the first one, that of a table waiter. That's right. We'll come back to that. The other thing that I think is interesting is the fact of... Well, let's go to, let's go to the next. I'm just stay, saying this train of thought. Verse 26, it says, let him be your minister. Let's, the word is a table waiter, if you will. Now, verse 27 even takes it to another level. Chapter 20 of Matthew. And whosoever will be chief among you... A ruler, a leader, let him be your servant. Now, that word for servant is doulos. The Greek word is doulos. And that's what Ernie is. He's a doulos at the Chevy dealership. And you say, what is a doulos? He's a slave. <laughs> and he's nodding his head. He was wondering, where's Larry going to take this one, right? And actually, now you see the difference between um, a table waiter, that's a servant. Don't get me wrong. But the word that Jesus uses, a doulos, a slave, a bond servant, an owned slave. There's a difference, isn't there? In other words, not every, not every servant is a slave. That table waiter is not a slave. But every slave is a servant. Did you see it? Now... I did not mean to say that you were a slave, but it just, it just fit, it fit the model, right? And by the way, I'm sure that Ernie or anyone else in any type of a career, you know what? You want to do the very best you can for your employer as you're working for the customer. The better job that you serve the customer, that I, I can't speak this loud enough. We're in a business, every, every business, the customer service sells. If Ernie does a really crummy job, that reflection is not necessarily just on Ernie. It's on the company of which the customer does business. But what makes the, co the company stronger is Ernie doing his job with a sense of service motivated to do the very best he can do. Do you see it? That's just like in the kingdom of heaven. When we as servants serve as to our Jesus Christ who owns us, who bought us. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The more that we serve him, the stronger he looks to the one we're serving. In church or out of church, it does not matter. Do you see how important the position that we have in, in Christ really is? Just like back to the, to, to, to the, to the world of what, take Ernie for, for a moment again. Are you okay with this? Yeah. Oh, you're okay. I used to pick him all the time in True Seekers too, so he's used to it. It's been a while though, hasn't it? Anyway, but see, Ernie is actually more important than literal. This is going to sound strange to you, maybe. Whatever the company president is, it's the Ernies that make the president work. Now, that president, may be make, he may make decisions. He may make things that make it more difficult or easier for Ernie or that, that customer-employee relationship. But ultimately, it's this. It's the Ernie's that make it work. 
It's the Christians, the disciples, the followers of Christ, when they get it right and they follow Jesus as their example, guess what? It makes it work. The world sees Jesus more clear. When they can't see Jesus in you, when they can't see the servant in you, Jesus becomes obscure. That's what's happened to the church ultimately over the last number of years. It's been too much about self, too much about the building, too much about institution, too much about this denomination. No, 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 no. I don't find that in the Bible. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Learn to be that servant. You know, it's really cool, and I, I, know that, I know that this much about Ernie, too, as well, that when he's done a really good job and he's given it all and he sees appreciation to that customer, you know what, that feeds him. It feeds us. When that Christian is delivering in a way that is really humble and really giving God the credit, guess what happens to us? We're fed. We're nourished. We become stronger even more. And guess what? Our faith, our trust that makes the humility there in the first place even blossoms further. See, it's all fit together, all integrated, isn't it? As soon as you get self in there, things bust apart. Boom, 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 boom. And that's why you have church splits. That's why you have marriages that are falling apart. Everything that God instituted was built on non-self. Sin entered the world in Adam and Eve, and everything went kohushki, right? And yet it's so hard, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, who signs up for, what do you mean, what do you mean a doulos? <laughs> it doesn't even sound right, right? It doesn't even sound good. In fact, there was even in the Old Testament, uh, a doulos was one that they would actually go over to, uh, and uh, this would be one that's truly owned. And to mark that, they would actually take a, an awl and... It's, it's kind of the old-style piercing, shall we say. And they would go to a, like a doorpost or something, and they would uh, put a, an awl through their ear, and then that would mean they were permanently owned, permanently owned by that particular owner. That was a do-loss. That's what that is. It's pretty... I don't know if I really want to be that committed. <laughs> right? Right? You can hear... You know, I'm not getting in your head or anything, but I think I was a little bit, right? Because our heads are that way. We're wired that way. What, 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 what do you mean, doulos? That's what Jesus... Oh, no. Jesus goes to the next level. He even goes to the last verse. Look at this. He goes on to say this. In Matthew chapter 20, we're using the Matthew core of, uh, parallel to right now, but beyond that, it says, And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant, colon, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life... A ransom for many. Oh, my goodness. How can you mark the love of someone? I think John wrote about that. How do you mark the love of a person? Tell me what love looks like. Exactly. Let's go to John. I think, I think Jerry just led us to John chapter 15. Let's go there for a moment. John chapter 15. And verse 13. He started in verse 12, though. He, he describes it. This is exactly what he's just told now in, in Matthew and in Mark, what he's come to do. Verse 12 of John chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And what does that mean? Well, he goes on to tell you. Greater love hath no man than this. This is, his, this is maxed, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now, speed back to Matthew or Mark, and guess what he's telling them? Just serve others. In the face, in the, in, in the whole 
context of humility. Just serve. But look at what he's, uh, what, how he describes himself. Let's go back to Matthew. We were there. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom for many. That word is lutron, L-U-T-R-O-N. It's only used two times in all of the New Testament, that ran, the word ransom. Guess where it's used? This is gonna, you're going to find this to be pretty unique. Obviously, it's right here. This is one of the two, Matthew 20, 28. You know where the other one is? We read it earlier today. The parallel passage, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is the only two places in the, scripture, in the New Testament that literally describe Jesus' life as a ransom. Tell me about a ransom. Describe that for me. What do you mean a ransom? Why is Jesus a ransom? What? Exchange. Actually, that word exchange is exactly what's behind this whole word of lutron. The word, the Greek, the Greek word that is that was ransom was defi- defined from, or it's the right word, uh, translated from. But the word exchange, in other words, not one life that did son of man, singular, there's not son of men or sons of man. In other words, more Christ, more Messiahs, it's one. One, one only. And his life was ransomed or redeemed many or all. That's a, We'll talk about that in just a second. He exchanged his life for all of those that were held hostage. And you've seen a hostage situation. Most of the time, someone will be approached with a hostage. You've probably seen television programs or whatever. And uh, someone that's wealthy, someone that has uh, a lot of potential, potentiality. And so they kidnap, a, a, for instance, one of their, their family members, a child. And they say, we want a ransom for $2 million. And they usually don't do that to someone that's in the slum or in poverty. Uh, we want $2 million because it's not going to work out, right? So they have no leverage, if you will. But now what we're doing is we want money, so we're going to take the most logical way to get that. We're going to take their child, and they usually a younger child even better, right? A five-year-old, four-year-old, whatever. And, and the only way you're going to get them back, you ever, ever seen alive, is you pay me a lot of money. Oh, my goodness. You know, right? Oh, my goodness, right? But, you know, it's bigger than that with Jesus. He didn't sin. He didn't have to be a man. He didn't start that way. In fact, the ultimate humility was the fact of what Jesus became. From God to man. You, you can't grasp that. You cannot grasp what that was. That's a degrade unbelievable. And then even wasn't like giving money. Who's he, and this is really important. Who did Jesus ransom to? Where was this ransom paid to? Now, it's obvious the disciples, all of the people, you and I were sitting here today. We're part of that group that was ransomed. He bought us. He redeemed us. He exchanged. But where did the ransom go? Sin was what was the problem. Okay? That was literally, that was, that's, that's what was owed. That's the penalty, the sin. Okay? This, what, where, where, did, where did Jesus' perfect... That's the perfect price. That's maximum. That's not millions. You can't buy it, right? That's the blood of the pure lamb of God. Who required it? God did. Did you see that? And that's why we can't ever get there because God is perfect, holy, and righteous. The only one that could have possibly paid that ransom was Jesus Christ to the Father to free us 
from the sin that held us captive. Now, Satan was holding us captive in sin because we fell for his shenanigans, right? But death, it says that death is a tool of Satan. Now, physical death, there's still obituaries in the paper. Thank God the spiritual death is taken care of because of that very verse. Jesus Christ became the ransom for many. Now, some would say, we want to talk about this for just a little bit. I don't know that we need to get too hung up on it, but... Why does it say many and not all? I mean, does that mean that some of them, he didn't die for everyone? Is this a limited atonement picture? Is this, what, what, is, what is going on here? There is, there is a choice. There's a sense of, of receiving that, okay? But did he die for all? Was, 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 there enough, was there enough ransom? I'm going to use that word. Was there enough exchange money? You know what I'm saying. It's not money. Was there enough exchange? Was there enough ransom for everyone? Yes. The motive of this passage is not necessarily, it's the many is actually a picture of all. The point is one exchanged or ransomed himself for everyone else. Let's take a look at this, how Paul uses it. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We'll find this in, in a passage that even uses some of the same terminology. Romans chapter 5, and let's take a look at verse 12. Romans 5.12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, yep, that was Adam, and death by sin, yep, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It didn't say many sinned, it said all have sinned. Now, go down to verse 15, same chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 15, but now as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, did you see that? We know that it just said in verse 12 that all have sinned and all will die. That's all and many being used literally in the same way. That's exactly what we see in Matthew or in Mark, that he would be the ransom for many. In other words, a ransom for all. Anyone that literally trusts in Jesus Christ, it's enough. You're not one of those that wasn't part of it. Now, ultimately, not everyone's going to go to heaven. Not everyone's going to accept Jesus Christ. Not everyone's going to accept the free gift that Jesus paid for. But there was enough ransom. There was enough blood. There was enough everything needed to buy you out of the slavery of sin. Satan cannot hold you anymore if you receive the gift of the free ransom that Jesus Christ laid his life down for. And we talked about this last week. This is very important as well. There are a lot of people, the liberal viewpoints particularly, would say that Jesus, he just kind of got caught up in all of this cross-revolution stuff, and he just went a little too far and, and ultimately lost his life. I mean, he was a good man, good teacher, but, you know, he just got just a little bit over the line, and, and finally Roman just had enough. No, 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 that's a lie from hell. That's a total lie from hell. Jesus Christ, did you see what he's just done three different times in, all, in three of the Gospels? He has described for the disciples exactly what would be coming, exactly what would be happening to them, that he literally, one week before it happened, I will be crucified. He knew what's going to happen, and for the reason. He just declared it, to buy you out of the slavery of sin. I'm going to be your ransom. I'm going to be the one that buys you out. I'm so thankful for that today. You know, the other thing that happens, too, is the more humble, the more serving you are, the more you pray. Guess what? The other thing that comes is... A, and this is what I'm afraid of in America that we've lost, and I don't know how we've lost it, but it's all tied together, is we're a thankless nation today. You know, we used to, think, think, of, how the, think of how the Thanksgiving, uh, I'm going to call it holiday, but uh, I don't know what else to call it, okay? It's a day of observance, right? How was that done? Well, it was actually started the, the, the year after 
half the pilgrims are dead. They've died from starvation and famine. And the next year they had this bountiful crop. We've got to have a feast. We've got to be thankful for what God has given to us. Let's invite, our, invite the Indians. I mean, think of this. Do you see this? When there's no self, there's no division. Where there's division, there's self. I mean, that seems so ridiculously, it's so true. And if you, want to, if you see that there's division, you can find there's self involved somewhere. Somewhere there's self. It's got to be there. It's got to be there. And God is the sense of joining together. That's how the church should be. That's how a family is designed. Remember we talked about that? He was talking about divorce. I mean, he uses these really, you know, would you, no, would have you, literally, just take a step back, would have you used this opportunity to have two really zealous brothers with their mother coming before you and say, uh, Jesus, we want, we, uh, you can't, I mean, Jesus, let, let's think about this. We're family, for goodness sakes. You know, James should be on one side, and, and we'll let those, John and Jay, you guys can work that out yourself, right? Because you know they're going to fight about that. But Jesus takes all of that, just puts it to the side, and says, you want to be great in the kingdom? This is what you can't do, and this is what you have to do. Isn't that fantastic? Every moment for Jesus was a teaching moment, even though it was an opportunity to literally, come on, what is going on here? You know what he said? Actually, we, we had communion last Sunday. It's amazing. Let's go, and as he's serving the elements, as he's basically that night partaking in the last time they're going to commune together, Let's go to that passage. We're in Matthew already. Just stay there. And I'll find it here in just a second. I think it's Matthew 26. And look at some of the same terms that are used. Matthew chapter 26. Um, yeah, here we go. We'll just verse 27, Matthew 26, 27. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed... For many, for the remission of sins. That is exactly what he's just said in Mark chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 20, talking about, you know what? what you're, right now, what you're doing is we're just hours away, literally, from me becoming that ransom, that gift, that redemption for the remission of sins. Of many. Did you see it again? Oh, my goodness. And you know what? You know how much they caught it? How much the disciples got it? Zero. Just poof, right over their head. What were they arguing about that night? This is a surprise. I don't know this is a shocker for you. Who's going to be the greatest? But you know what? The really cool part is, is that those disciples, after the fact, they got it. They got it. Let's go to First Peter, First Peter chapter 1 for a moment. It probably isn't exactly in sequence, but First Peter chapter 1. And let's take a look at verse 18. First Peter Chapter 1 and verse 18. This is our, our beloved Peter. Verse 18. For as much, chapter 1, 1 Peter. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed. There's that word. Ransomed, redeemed, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers. Now again, all of the things that the disciples would have held, held on to. The sense of prestige and power. Where did they get that? from all of the religious leaders in that day in which they were finding themselves living. That, that's common and, and within their families, all of that. He said, no, no, none of that made any difference. But, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Wow! 
That wasn't, that wasn't happenstance. Did you say Fordained before the foundation of the world. Peter, do you think he got it now? You better believe he got it. Front line and center. Absolutely. So what motivates us? What drives us? Those are questions that only you can answer. But they're questions worthy of consideration. Why do I do what I do? What makes me do what I do? Luke chapter 22, let's go there for a moment. This is uh, the Luke's portion of the Last Supper, shall we say, or the communion that they had together. And and let's go to, uh, we'll just start in verse 19. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Same event as we've just read in Matthew 26. In Luke 22, 19, it says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Truly, the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. In other words, this is all pre-planned, just as we've spoken of several places today. It's all foreordained. This is something that God had set out. The only way that men could be redeemed, to be ransomed, was through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. After that, at that momentous statements, they begin to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Speaking of Judas Iscariot. And there was also a strife among them. This is the second most important thing there. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Ah. <laughs> ah, what are you going to do if you're Jesus? What, what, would you, what would you do right now? Would you clowns get it? What are you thinking about? You know what he does? This is really important. This is what Jesus does all through the scripture, all through the gospels. He's an example. He's a model. He goes over and he gets that, that basin of water puts a towel around, and he starts washing their feet. You know what that did to them? Oh, it touched them right there. In fact, Peter's, oh, oh no, Lord, you can't, I, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, well, if you're not going to have me wash you, we'll have no part of it. Oh, then wash everything. Give me a bath. Right? <laughs> Peter was always that guy. He was over the top on both ways. No matter what, he got everything of Peter. But you know what? Isn't that so cool how Jesus, you know, and you think, I think of my own life, all of those failures, all of the things I've done wrong, you know what? Jesus, he's there for me, helping me up, setting me, setting me straight. Come on, come on, come on. Let's just go. Let's just do this. We're no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I died for you. I bought you. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you were bought with a price. He doesn't sell, barter, or throw away things that he owns. Aren't you glad of that? Man, I'd have been traded a long time ago, right? <laughs> No, no, no. Do you see the preciousness that you are in God's sight? And that night, let's keep going. I lost track of where I was going now. They're seeing who's the greatest. He said, verse 25 unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. That sounds like what he just taught them in session three of describing for the crucifixion coming. And they that exercise upon them are called benefactors. But you are not so. No, no. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Watch this, verse 27. For whether is greater, who's greater? He that sitteth at the meat or he that serveth? 
is not he that sitteth at the meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. That's exactly, see, he's using that table waiter. So in other words, you've got the guy sitting at the table. He's coming in. He's going to pay for the check. He orders the steak. Who's greater, him or the waiter that's, oh, let me, uh, he wants that medium well. Okay, sir, sir, uh, was that medium well, right? Oh, perfect. Now, who's greater, the guy sitting at the table or the server? That's what Jesus is asking. And then he says this, I came to be the table waiter, to be the server. That's the same word that's used in Mark and in Matthew. Is there any question here, disciples? Which, what do I really want you to do? How do you really want to be effective? How do you really want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Just do what I do. Isn't that good stuff? Good stuff. I mean, that's, what, that's why it's so respect. I, it's more than that. I love my Savior. But there's a part of me that even there's a respectfulness because he never just said to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. See, that to me, and, and you give me a boss like that, someone that, that I'm working for like that, someone that's not afraid to do what they're asking me to do, oh, they've got me. They own me. Someone that's just way up high and capriciously just throws up off, you know, commands and, you know, care less. You know, I just go sigh, right? Jesus did everything better in service and humility than anyone even could possibly comprehend. And he's only asking, just follow me, follow me, follow me. That's what he said to those fishermen, right? He just, uh, you want to be fishers? Follow me. And they made a choice. See, it's the same thing for us. You're going you're to follow Christ or you're not going to follow him. But if you're really a Christian, if you're really following Christ, guess what? Humility and service comes as the whole deal. And it makes you better. The best thing that any of us can do, and even the jobs that we're holding, is to just do it to the best of our abilities, humbly, graciously, with a servant attitude. That's really what Jesus is asking. And the disciples, glad to say, they failed test after test after test after test after test. Jesus is gone. I want to think, let's talk about Siloam for just a moment. Now, this was happening a week, 10 days before his crucifixion. And what, do you, would you say she succeeded? Now, she's here at this, in, in Matthew's account, she is here listening to this, to this session. She, you know, the right hand and the left hand is not for me to give, but basically he's saying, whoever is the most persecuted, maybe that's not even the right word, the one that suffers the most, that serves the most, will be the greatest. So it's not really up to me. So Solomon's listening to this, right? Now, she, how do you think she went home that night? Hmm. Right? It's probably a hmm moment. James and John, oh, they're too busy scrapping with the other ten because they can't figure out who's the greatest. You can see it even a week later. They're still doing it, right? They're still doing it. Okay? But let's follow Salome for a moment. See, we looked at her last week. Where was she at? Where was she at after that? All that contemplation. In other words, glory comes after suffering. Now, Jesus Christ, he's in glory today. He's elevated and exalted to the highest level imaginable. Do you know what? He had to go through suffering as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the ransom, the redemption that we needed to buy us out of sin. You know where she was the day that he was crucified? She was at the cross. She was there with him. His mother was there. Salome was there. Mary Magdalene was there. And I've forgotten the other one. Sorry. You know what? That says a lot. Salome could have went home and pouted. She could have said, oh, I can't believe he didn't give me what I wanted, right? She really meekly would have said, you know what? I'm all in. 
I'm all yours. I'm all yours. She watched as Jesus would have said to her sister Mary, Jesus' mother, John, take care of Mary. Wow. What do you think that meant after the fact? What do you think that meant to John? Did you see that? Now you're starting. Jesus is asking John to be a servant for his mother Mary. Oh, my goodness. Right? You see the thing starting to spin, starting to catch place, starting, starting the thing start to work around? That's what happened to every one of the disciples. James, his brother, he was beheaded first. We looked at that last week. Acts chapter 12, verse 2. He lost his life for his love for Jesus. John literally died as an exile in the Isle of Patmos. Do you think they got the message? Every single day after Jesus. I can see, oh, no, don't. Okay, yep, we got a job to do. We got a job to do. The only way the Holy Spirit could come is if Jesus goes home. For a while they were, no, that's the wrong plan. Peter was very exuberant about that, right? And how did Jesus respond to him? Satan, get behind me. I thought you just said I was going to be the leader of the church. Well, those ideas won't get you there, buddy, right? Isn't it amazing how quickly we can fall off the edge? How easy it is not to be focused? You know how you stay focused? More prayer. You know how you pray more, I guess, more powerfully? Serve more. The more you serve, the more you pray. The more you pray, the more you serve. Humility becomes part of who you are. When humility becomes a part of who you are, oh, the Savior is glorified. The Savior is honored. This is what Jesus was trying to just give to them, right? He's, he's done it. If you know, have you noticed every teaching seminar that he's had? I don't know which one we're on, six or seven. These are personal instructions for the disciples the last month, two months, three months before he's crucified. Almost every single one of those, they don't get. And he's trying to say the same thing. Just serve others. There's no greater thing for the man to lay down his life for his friends. How, do you, how will they know that you love one another? I'm sorry, how will they know that you're followers of me, Christians? For how much you love one another. See, that's what it's all about. You show me a church that's vibrant and outreaching and amazingly accepted in what the gospel really is about, you will find a church that does not have a lot of self inside. You will find where self has been thrown out, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about serving one another. Remember how the church in uh, Acts chapter 2 was? They met together. They fellowshiped together. If someone was hungry, they fed them. You see what I'm saying? There was a caring. There was a sharing. All of those things. I see America as a whole. Have, we've walked away from that. We've walked away from that. We're too entitled to ourselves. It's all about me. It's all, and and you know, it's amazing what you'll throw out the window to get that. Isn't it amazing? Look at this free. We, you know, we talk about freedom. And freedom's not free. It's not free. And you see bumper stickers. Now it's talking, politically, it's talking about a nation. It's talking about patriotism. All of those are sound things as well. But it's just the same thing with sin. If Jesus had not died, there isn't anything you could do to have gotten out of it. Not, not one single solitary thing. Nothing that you could have done. Nothing. That's depressing, isn't it? That's really good. When you're depressed, you know you need something. And you'll never get saved until you know you need a Savior. If you don't need a Savior, who would care? But when you know you need a ransom. For Jesus, and that all must have hit them with a ton of bricks. When he rose again, and they're having that, and it's all starting to come together, right? And I can't imagine. Guess who Jesus was walking with on his road back to Emmaus? This crucifixion had taken place. And he's dead. He's buried. You know, I mean, I wasted my life there. That's just ridiculous. It's terrible. What the world? What? I just wasted three years of my life. I mean, 
No, just, I can't, I'm not even swamping enough. I should even, you know, just, you know, just hand-wringing, and it's just terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And all of a sudden, here comes a stranger. What are you guys, what are you guys doing? Oh, it's just, it's just terrible. Well, what, what's terrible? What's going on? What, what are you, you like not from here or what? They just killed Jesus. Oh, really? What is, you know what he said? What does the scripture say? Oh, goodness sakes. And then you have a Bible, have a Bible lesson from Jesus not knowing who he is. And there it says their eyes were opened, right? How would have you liked to have been? I would have wanted to have been there, right? And pretty soon, you know what, that slump that they're, they, and they get to the, where they're going. And he said, well, would you eat with us? No, oh, yeah, okay. And he, and he says, he says thanks, he prays, and I'm convinced that's when they saw his ha- the, the nail scars in his hands, right? Oh, it's him. Oh, this is so great. And boom, he's gone. And guess what they did? They were so full of energy, they went back to the disciples, back to Jerusalem. They said, you won't believe this. He's alive. Now, that's what Jesus can do in your life. That's what, and guess what? This is where it's going. That man's name is Cleophas. That's Salome's husband. Isn't that cool how Jesus ministered to that family? And that's why James and John, and Salome was at the cross as well, but that's why those two men went down giving everything they had for the Savior that gave them everything they needed. Now that's a Savior. Isn't that cool? And Jesus is saying to us, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then be the servant of all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the word. Thank you for the spirit administering it. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ who paid the price necessary, the ransom that was due, the amount of money that was held for us. Unpayable, just as a slave in that day, there would have been a redemption price, a price of which he or she could have purchased themselves, but it's not the way it works. They would have never possibly been able to make enough money when they're just barely getting by, just enough sustenance to remain alive. That's the condition we find ourselves in sin. No way out. Just death before us. And just as Jesus is again telling these disciples that he proved just literally a week or more later that he was that ransom. He was the price necessary to be paid to the Father for what Satan was holding through death as being his tool of sin. Father, we can't ever offer up enough thanks. We can't give you enough of ourselves. But Father, help us to give us everything we are, everything we know to be, because you have bought us with a price. Because you've loved us so much, Jesus Christ is our example, our model. He gave everything necessary to redeem us from the slave market of sin. Father, we know we're imperfect. We know that we have plenty of situations of which we will fail, but you are there to help us out, to hold us, to console us, to speak to us through your word. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us. Thank you for all of the provisions that you've made. Father, may you have all of us every day, every moment. Thank you for the words that have consoled us and encouraged us today from your word. Christ's name.